back, friends, to the Bold Love Podcast here with Pastor Bob Roberts, Jr. We hope you've enjoyed the journal sessions that Bob has done, but we're going to take another quick break this week in order to bring you an interview with John Tyson. He is a pastor and church planner from New York City. He's originally from Australia, but moved here to the U.S. about 20 years ago with a passion to seek and cultivate renewal in the Western church. He lives in Hell's Kitchen neighborhood of Manhattan along with his wife and kids and serves as lead pastor of Church of the City in New York. Pastor John will also be a keynote speaker at our GlocalNet annual conference called the Glocal Summit. This conference will be themed in the midst, as we know that pastors and church leaders are sometimes looking up from the middle of a valley. So at this year's Glocal Summit, we're going to lean in together to face challenges and learn about resilience from speakers just like John Tyson and Pastor Glenn Packiam and so many others. So come and get refreshed with the GlocalNet family as we encourage each other, we learn together, and we face these challenges together and spend more time time with Jesus in our midst, refueling for the year to come. So you can register now at the event in Dallas, Texas. It's November 2nd and 3rd, and you can do so at glocal.net slash summit. Now, only $99, and actually you can get $10 off if you use the coupon code podcast. So glocal.net slash summit and use the coupon code podcast. So now I want to welcome in the host of the Bold Love Podcast, Pastor Bob Roberts, Jr. I am excited today to have the John Tyson with me on Bold Love Podcast. I love John Tyson. I've known about him for many years. When he went to New York to plant his church, obviously I just followed that carefully. And as God has continued to, continued to use him, I love his heart. Uh, for for his passion for renewal and revival. Uh, and so we're just going to jump right in and uh, hit it together. So, John, you're originally from Australia. Yes, I am Why from Australia. Why in the world Australia? did you come here? Why did you come here? What are you doing here? I felt like America was so dark and godless it needed missionaries, mate. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm kidding. I had a sense I became a Christian when I turned 17 and just had what I can only describe as a, a, like a New Testament vision that I was meant to come to America. And it all sounds quite silly, except that it actually happened. And here we are today. So, yeah, that was it. Sense of call. Do you know, I tried three times to be a missionary. Uh, and one of those was in Australia. Uh, the oh, IMB really? wouldn't appoint us uh, because my wife had <laughs> had some health issues. And so yeah. I was friends with a bunch of guys in, in uh, Australia and tried to raise the money. God didn't open the doors, but. Hey, was it hard for you, John, coming to America? I know a little bit about Aussie culture. It's pretty different between our two cultures. I mean, we may speak English and have a lot of uh, English descendants, but it really is different cultures. Was it hard for you? It wasn't. It um, it was hard in my marriage. I married an American. Oh, my and, God. Uh, so we have a, yes, we have a cross-cultural marriage. Um, I think there was. I mean, I moved in 1997, so I've been here for 25 years. Um, America was very different back then. This is pre, pre-popular internet, pre-smartphone, pre-social media. America was a lot more provincial, a lot more local. Um, and so, yeah, it was very, very different. Um, I lived primarily in the South until I moved to New York City. So I was in uh, Atlanta, Dallas, Tennessee, um, Florida, and those were very, very different. I tell you, the thing that stood out to me—they prepared the you for of, Manhattan, right? 
That's exactly right. It's a perfect training. <laughs> Southern mega churches getting rid of me to start a church in Manhattan. Um, the amount of God that was hanging around in American culture was startling to me. The first time I went to Walmart and I was like, what do you mean you can buy a Bible in Walmart? Like the, the level of integration of Christianity and culture was so jarring. It was wild. It's still there. It's still there uh, to just more than more than Americans are aware of, I think. I do, too. A lot of uh, Christians feel like we're under attack and being mistreated here in the States. And I'm all over the world. And I just grin when I hear that. Uh, it's just mm. it's just not. So you're 28 and you start a church in Hell's Kitchen. Tell us a little bit about your journey there. And since. Then- well, I yes. Um, so. Well, it's 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 really just in some ways it feels completely natural. What else would you do with your life? I mean, I guess if you're living your call, that's how it feels. It feels natural. Um, oh, it's been it's been an amazing sense. We started with a little Bible study in my apartment, and uh, it just sort of grew from there. Um, here's what we, here's what I found in general: New York, at a meta level, is very hostile to exclusive faith claims. At a personal level, people are very, very open. I think secularism is failing us. I think the secular story is inadequate for the human heart. I think people know there's got to be more. Uh, all of the explanations for the deepest core human longings are not met in the secular story that we're handed. It's why we have uh, the most technologically and prosperous culture in recorded history, and yet the highest rates of anxiety of any generation. I mean, this stuff is not filling your hearts. So I've actually found people like surprisingly open. Now, they're not open to, hey, would you like to become an evangelical Christian at all? But when you put the beauty of the person of Jesus and the message of the kingdom of God in front of them, I think in many ways people say that's the kind of relationship I've been searching for, and that's the vision of the world we're all trying to work out, a vision of justice, peace, inclusion, kindness, the banishing of evil, the restoration of what's broken. And we're desperately looking for a leader. Who can we trust? Who has um, power and humility? Uh, who has? Who knows when to weep and when to get angry? It was Jesus. Jesus seems to do this better than any, any man that's ever lived. So when people are exposed to the essence of Jesus in the kingdom of God, I find people to be way more open than people would suspect. And I think that's where our church has done well. That's our primary message, Jesus and the kingdom of God. You know, I would, I would agree with you about that. Uh, the problem is not our exclusivist claims. It's the way we live our lives. It's how we communicate that. Mm. All of that. Mm. Uh, I get I get the privilege to get to speak at uh, sometimes conventions of uh, people of different religions. And they mm. know, I mean, I was introduced this summer to about 20,000 Muslims at a big event, and they said, this is Bob Roberts. He wants to baptize us all, but he loves us. And, you know, <laughs> we can really, <laughs> we can, we really can talk about Jesus, and, and people want to hear, but if they don't know, we care about them. John, you said in the past uh, that you have a passion to seek and cultivate the renewal in the Western church. Expand on that. Well, I think it's obvious whenever you read the scriptures that there's a gap between our experience of who God is and what he offers and and what we what we live out on a daily basis. We are in the we are in the kitty end pool of what the Bible offers in terms of our experience. And so I I've 
I became a Christian in uh, somewhat of a Pentecostal revival in Australia. I mean, it was not come to church, you like my preacher. It was come to church, God is here. Manifest presence. It took over my life, took over my friends' lives. It was raw New Testament power. And I, I saw what it did in my own life. I saw what the gospel did. It changed me. It made me into a fundamentally different person, and it was not because of my effort, my good works. It was because of God's love, the good news of what Jesus had done and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, so that happened to me on a personal level, and I began to you know, sort of look around and say, gosh, we, we need that at a corporate level. Um, Any time the beauty of God's message is embodied in human beings, human systems, human structures, and human traditions, it is prone to error. And it is prone to abuse. And so the church has always had a reformatory element of it. You know, the church critiquing itself, uh, sort of uh, reforming itself. And um, yeah, and again, I'm not standing here as someone who's like, hey, I've got all the answers. I'm the person that believes that my experience is the thing that can do it. No, I think it's just more like a desperate claim to follow Jesus with a full heart and bring his message uh, front and center. It's amazing what the church determines to put at the center of its message and its vision. And so often those things are culturally defined rather than defined by the priorities of Jesus. Jesus is very, very hard with the religious leaders uh, in Matthew 23 because they just put everything in front of that which is most important to God. So, yeah, I've got a little bit of a reformative personality by wiring and um had that sense like hey i want to close the gap between what the bible offers and what we can experience and inspire and challenge others to go after those things too so that's a little bit about it we are at a time of radical decline in the church this year we'll lose over a million people out of our churches that's kids who basically opt out of being raised in a christian home so whatever we've been doing isn't working and so it is time to reevaluate you know um what do why are young people so disinterested in our faith um what can we do to do something that's more compelling more life-giving and so yeah i'm very we need it and i think we need to ask the questions how and that's certainly a conversation i've tried to be interested in and faithful to you know john it's interesting listening to you talk the reality it wasn't marketing or platforms or experiences it was a power it was an experience with god and, and the yes. reality is your, your experience and how you came to God, frankly, is normative globally. I'm all over the world, yes. and yeah. I meet yeah. Chinese Christians. They didn't go to some worship service. They had an encounter with God. I'm in India. I just came back from Pakistan. I was in Sudan with some pastors. I mean, the church is really exploding around the mm-hmm. world. And one of the fascinating things is people are coming to Jesus. And, and it's not because of how the church is doing church. It's how the Spirit's working. Mm-hmm. And it breaks my heart here. I, I think we don't, we don't know how to just, as pastors now, church leaders, I don't know that we really believe the Holy Spirit is enough. I don't know that we really believe that, that He can do it if, if we get on our face before God. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry for that. I'm so hungry for that. I, I think... Uh, one of the things coming out of the pandemic, I've shared this with other pastors. Uh, I was uh, sharing it last night on another podcast is I hear Jesus saying, I want my church back in the States. I want it back. And so 
I don't know. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you had that experience with God. And God's using you in a profound way. And man, I just challenge you, don't stop preaching that. We, we need to hear it. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned about systems and processes and how we position the church. But man, we've wouldn't it be cool to see a great move of God that happened by God and not us? And everybody knew it. So I, I don't know. I know. That's one of the <clears throat> go ahead. Yeah, I'm totally no, I'm totally with you. You know, I think there was a there was a, a period maybe 20 or 30 years ago, probably coming out of the seeker movement. The seeker movement basically said we've made faith irrelevant to the needs of the typical person. And then kids came out of the seeker movement and basically said, "What we in our desire to meet people where they are, we turn them into religious consumers." And the early discussions of the missional movement were, "How do we, you know, as the culture is increasingly secular, post-Christian, how do we begin to re-evangelize, you know, the Western places again?" Sadly, we were not able to be effective enough in that, and the gap is too great. So, having a conversation now with with David Kinnaman from Barna, and he shared with me, um, the church has reached reached the point statistically of irreversible decline meaning there's nothing we can do to turn the tide bar radical discipleship of our children and an actual biblical move of god yeah. and everything we're doing other than that is just shuffling chairs on the titanic so i do believe um systems matter i just came out of a two-hour two -hour meeting with our team on how to make our church discipleship pathway clearer how do we make our comms more effective to highlight the right right things but I'm not sitting there hoping that is going to turn the tide. That is that is something you've got to do. But, you know, at, at the same time today, our church will spend four hours today praying for a move of God in New York City. So, like, our, our energy and our effort and our focus is saying, God, if you don't step in, what are, we can't pull this off. Now, again, I'm interested in revival and a move of God for several reasons. Not just – I'm not – I don't have – um anxiety around secularism i don't have the cultural warrior in me they're taking our country you know i don't have that in me but i do have this i think that god is glorious i believe the gospel is true i believe the kingdom leads to human flourishing um and i'm desperate to see that in the world i think we're in a state of utter chaos fear anxiety confusion normally the only people who, who to thrive in times of confusion are predators there's a lot of lot of predatory behavior in our world so yeah i'm interested in the world becoming more like god wants it to be and we're at a time where the only option is for god to step in or we're just twiddling our thumbs in slow motion we're just managing the decline of the western church so if you've got to find a fulcrum for action seeking god for him to step in seems to be the only one right now and i think it's the only way he does move i mean when you study the last two thousand years of christian history a lot of sociologists freak out they say, look at what's going on right now. We're in trouble. So, yeah, in human terms, I would agree we're in trouble. But, man, you got to have a long-term view of this stuff. And there's ebb and flows. And there's a, reason it, there's a reason why we have awakenings throughout history. And if it's his church, he, he will awaken it. John, what do you mean? You said your church is praying four hours a day. What's that about? Well, I mean, it's just, it's just our, I think, our commitment to seek God. And the Bible says God rule. You need to know two things about God from Hebrews. Number one, he's there. And number two, he rewards. Those are the core pillars. He rewards those who diligently seek him. We say um, we, we're in such a lukewarm church culture that people perceive diligence as legalism and therefore opt out. Yeah, We think that God rewards you when you seek him. 
Um, when you look at the prayers in the Bible, um, there's a wonderful book called Calling on the Name of the Lord, and it's a biblical theology of prayer. And he takes prayer from Genesis to Revelation and asks the question, what is it? And he's he won't give you answers like, it's just conversation with God, none of that stuff. Here's the essence of what prayer is. Calling on the name of the Lord to fulfill his covenant promises. He says that's what prayer is. In the Old Testament, it's Yahweh's covenant promises in Deuteronomy. In the New Testament, it's the new covenant as embodied under Jesus. So prayer then is asking God to manifest what he said in his covenant and guaranteed into our actual experience. And I think that's why a lot of folks don't have the framework of prayer. Look at Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah's in a time of like horrific decline. Okay, and uh, he's sitting there, and everybody is like, "Man, that's really sad. What's happening to those exiles? Let's put, let's put them on our prayer list for Tuesdays and care for them." You know, something happens in his heart when he starts to to mourn, fast, and pray. His prayers get wild. He says he's, he's praying the covenant prayers. Lord, you have said, even if your people are scattered to the ends of the earth, that you will redeem and bring them back. Now, all the great prayers of the kings, covenant prayers, the four kings in the old uh, of, of Judah who were godly kings. They're all examples of the covenant made with Solomon at the dedication of the temple, if my people. So we're trying to take a hold of those covenant prayers that God has promised us. So these are not like wishing prayers. These are not just express your feelings to God prayers. It's really believing that God has given us covenant promises and that there's conditions for him to move. We can't manufacture it, but there are conditions. And we're pressing in in obedience to what his word reveals about calling on his name to fill his promises. So that's primarily what it's about. You know, it's a covenant prayer for God to move in the ways that he's said he will in the Bible. As a boy, I grew up and uh, a man named Leonard Ravenhill and David Wilkerson went to my dad's church. And so I had the privilege. Really? Yeah, just praying with them. Wow. You know, we were Baptist and my dad was cessationist. They weren't. But uh, David showed up because my dad was phenomenal expositor in little bitty town of Lindale and him, Keith Green. I mean, all these guys that were around. But it, what was interesting when you would pray with them, that's how they prayed, John. I mean, it mm. was I mean, Raven Hill, when you got on your knees with him, you were going to be there a long time. And it was, you know what I mean? But but it's interesting you say that. That's how they prayed. Hey, I got to get that book. What's the name of it? Praying the Covenant Prayers. No, it's called Calling on the Name of the Lord. Okay, and I got to get the that name book. Of the book. Calling on the name of the Lord. You know who wrote it? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I can look it up real quick. Was I, it the Lord? I, I, I've given you the whole book. The whole book is <laughs> prayer is calling on the name of the Lord okay, to fulfill His it. covenant promises. I'll find That's it. it. And it's just it's in it's in it's in that under um, it's in the I think D. A. Carson's the general editor, and it's in oh, the, wow. uh, the the great the silver covered. I think so, so, it's, so, it's not a it's not pastoral book. It's an academic book. So did you come up with this idea to pray four hours a day? Where did it come from? I know oh, I'm not I asking think, you what I'm supposed to, but I, I want to know about this. Oh no, I mean, well, I, I think we're trying to build that up. I think we're trying to grow in that. Um, that's just where we've been. That's what we've been able to sustain right now. So what does it look like four hours a day? Does everybody are they all there? Well, so, so yeah, sign up. This, what is that? No, no, it's no, it's it's an it's open prayer. So you, we've got a prayer set from six to seven, one from seven to eight. I led that seven to eight one this morning, eight to nine, and then we have um, prayer hubs which are around the city, which pray the Lord's prayer, just one hour through the Lord's prayer in public places. 
So, you know, secularism's primary goal is to privatize your faith. They don't care what you believe. You believe in the boogeyman, Jesus, um, fairies, ghosts, as long as it's in your heart, it doesn't manifest itself in the workplace or legislation. Um, everybody else says that the truest thing about them, whatever it may be, must be given the right to express itself in public because it's so valuable to them. Christians are almost the only ones who are told you cannot express your faith in public. So secularism has an agenda of privatizing everything. Um, and so we, we believe that the kingdom expression is, the, is making things public. And so it's it's prayer around the city. When the weather changes, we'll bring those back to our prayer room. And it's just, but yeah, it's just prayer, praying for different themes. How, so how long have you been morning, doing I this? Believe, how long have you been doing this? We've been doing oh, for, for years. For years, just steadily wading in. You know, our churches, by the grace of God and answers to prayer, come out of the pandemic in the healthiest place it's probably ever been in its 17-year history. I mean, we're just thriving. I think so much of that is having a culture of, of humility and dependence on the Lord, seeking God. Listen, mate, you know, maybe, maybe it's this too. This is part of the gift. The reason people are desperate in other places of the world it's because they don't have stuff. And when yep. God's when God's your only option, he's your first option. Yeah. It's not like let's run True. everything ourselves and then let's seek the Lord. Very similar to us, mate. We don't we don't have stable facilities. You know, we're very, very vulnerable as a church. Um we could lose our Sunday services in one week or three months. Like it, 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 we're desperate. We don't have we don't own anything. So we're very, very dependent. It's like, Lord, you have said that if we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that what we need will be added after us. And I think we'd, we're just in a cultural position where we don't have anything other. So we don't have a thing where it's like, well, we've got what we need, now let's ask God. It's like we actually do not have what we need, so let's get desperate for God. So there's something about the con the location that facilitates that. And there's something about I think our church's call. I mean, we view ourselves as people called to contend for a great awakening in our world today. Part of that's a sovereign theme of my life. You know, part of it is a biblical emphasis we've chosen. It costs our church hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to run our prayer ministry. We have two full-time people on staff, you know. 10% of our staff right now, I think, are in our prayer ministry. And so you get churches with 100 people with nobody on staff for prayer. So we've just, we've prioritized it. Uh, we've valued it. And again, it's... We're not trying to earn anything. We're not trying to earn anything. We're not like um, people in sci-fi film, disaster films, where if you repent hard enough, desire. It's not. It's not like that's the different mentality. It is beholding the beauty of Jesus transforms people more than church programs transform people. Asking God to do in a moment what we couldn't do in ten years. Like we really believe that, and so we've ordered our attention and practices around that to try and make that the heart of what we do listen but in many ways we're a normal church we're trying to do small groups and run the alpha course serve the poor missional partners um songs on sundays we have problems with tech but the other thing we do have is this burning massive massive central vision for revival and awakening i think new york city also inspires it you know um, new york is the place of the last business revival and um that was when you read about what happened, it's just absolutely extraordinary. And so I walk around where that happened. Where I'm right now, I'm on 45th Street in Manhattan. I look out my window and I can see A.B. Simpson's Simpson's Tabernacle from oh, my window. Oh, really? Where the, wow. Where the CMA was launched. 
I look out the other window and I look at Walter Rushenbush's church where the whole social gospel was birthed out of serving the poor. So I, I'm, I look I, I look like right up here in his Times time Square church. So we, we're, we've got an amazing view. So I'm just surrounded by these reminders that God can do more. I'm just surrounded by them. I regularly go down and pray where the businessman's revival happens. So how can you settle for less? I mean, you can, but why? So I think, um, you know, God's put that in our heart and we're trying to be really faithful with that and just go after it. So it's what we do is very sustainable for other churches. This is not a special source. We can get you a senior pastor's prayer starter kit. We can get you a worship leader starter kit. We can get you a how to build a prayer room starter kit, all downloads for you to install in your current hardware, but it will put the software of prayer into the systems that you've already built. That's good, John. You know, I, I get excited about listening to you talk because if there's a great move of God in Manhattan, can you imagine what could happen across our country? And, and you know, I work all over the world. And so I'm in, I'm in Manhattan at the UN Affair Mount. And uh, I, I was there a couple of weeks ago with, with, uh, with some pretty significant leaders. And literally, we talked about Jesus. And, and I prayed with them. Something happens when we pray with non-believers. I'm convinced of that. And, and they're moved by prayer. I'll, I'll have people all over the world. I don't care what the religion they are or no religion. They'll say, hey, Bob, would you, would you pray for me right now? Would you, would... There's something when we pray with people as an evangelism tool. It's like inviting the Holy Spirit into that relationship in a way that even frankly, I think is sometimes more powerful than explaining how to accept Jesus. Just God shows up when we pray together. I was praying uh, with with the small group of, of Muslims. Somebody was sick. And as I was praying for him, I didn't mean to, but I got emotional. I began to weep and I began to call on Jesus. I said, God, I know you care about these people. You created them in your image. And I mean, they started weeping. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus, and they don't care. I mean, it's, it's bring it on. So I, I get excited. I mean, what could happen, John, if, if that prayer movement got inside the UN? What could happen if some of these world leaders could come to a prayer meeting where maybe they're not Christians, but they know God is moving and those people are calling out to God? So, so uh, I have two things to say. Go, Jesus, go, and go, John, go. I mean, if there's some way that passion for prayer could enter. I'm telling you, John Tyson, this is how God's going to move. It's going to be by people. I think, I think people are hungry to experience and encounter a move of God that no man can take credit for and say, now here's how we did our lighting, and here's how we marketed to get them inside the room, and here's how we then process them. I mean, those things are, are are important, but they don't define the church. And I just, I don't know. I'm maybe it's because I'm 64, but I am so hungry to see what God is doing in China and India and some other countries in the world. I want him to do it here. And we're so busy telling people how to do church when our churches are screwed up. I'm just going, oh my word, can't we just get on our face and no, I'm sorry, John. I'm getting all excited and passionate. So, so what would you? Yes. Well, it's just my heart, man. It's it's. I I love what you're doing, and I I, I want to see that happen here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Post COVID, 
you referred to it a time or two. Uh, there's so many stuff going on. There's there, there was COVID. We're coming out of that. Uh, we have Christian nationalism is being normalized. You've got uh, polarization in our country. You have violence on the rise dramatically. I mean, there are just so many things that are going on. What, what do you what do you see? Uh, what would you say to a young church planter uh, who, who's trying to start a church or a pastor who doesn't know what to do? Where do you see things headed? I think I think we missed a window to seek God. The, the vaccine was our savior. Um, the stimulus checks were our savior. Uh, all of these other things got in the way. And we did have there's these movements like the 17, 714 movement. People were praying all the day. The, and it just seems like we, we were so – our condition was revealed, which was we could not sustain prayer. That's what – like what, what did the church learn in COVID? It learned we're good at serving the poor. It, it learned that we're good at helping in a crisis. But it also learned that our spiritual capacity to sustain an interest in depending on God was very low. Almost every one of those movements that used to pray in COVID is back to their pre-COVID prayer culture, which is minimal. And again, I don't say that with that probably sounds judgmental. I don't mean that at all. I just I feel like we missed a window there. And um so what what would I say to people? Like get back to that window, open that window again and get back to really seeking God. Look. Listen, I've been involved in planning quite a few churches in New York City. It's hard. It's, it's not like you do have a good kids' ministry and send out a mailer and 400 people show up. Not in my world. Um, it's not like that in a lot of places. But what's your great plan? You're going to win them with your gifts? You're going to have enough uh, such great kids' space that people now are wholeheartedly surrendered to Jesus? I'd love better kids' space, but that's not it. No, you you must obtain power. That's it. That's what I would say to a church planner. The kingdom of God's not a matter of talk, it's power. You're one of the people that's inspired me. Um, because here's what I say to a church planner. If all you do is focus on the quality of your programs, all you do is attract consumers from other churches. Church planning should be done with the lost. The New Testament model was go to an area, evangelize, win non-believers, form them together, disciple them, raise them up in a leadership, and then redeploy them. And our model is do better programming, have cool branding, get good social media, attract people looking for your particular slice of Christianity, bring them in, grow it big, and then tell everybody else how to do that at conferences. And I'm just telling you, those days are, those days, the death rattle of those days is upon us. It's just not going to work. I agree. Look, I agree with you. I'm curious, John. I see guys desperate for good systems. I, I really don't see a lot of – I don't hear a lot of conversation about being desperate for God. Well, I mean, what a tragedy. Well, I, I, listen, agree. What, what, I we agree. Are, we are – you know, as they say, the churches we have are perfectly designed to get the fruit that we are seeing. We are getting things not by accident, but because we've designed that. We have designed systems that produce a generational bleeding and walking away from the church. We've designed systems that produce deconstruction. We've yeah. designed systems that we, uh, end up with people wow. thinking that taking their kids to soccer is better than coming to Jesus. Like we, these are these are don't put these are things we've designed. You know, and um, so yeah, I think it is sad. Um, the the beauty of the Lord, the the the, the thing about God is so merciful. In spite of all yep. of our independence and pride, and our, he's always just like, 
just come back to me. His heart is always so merciful and so tender towards us. You know, it's like, if you return to me, I'll return to you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Uh, his unfailing love. So the second we turn back to God, he's so merciful to us. He doesn't beat us up. He doesn't guilt us to death. He just says, come on in closer, come on in deeper. So again, I would say you'll be amazed what happened. Well, two things will happen. One, you set your heart to seeking God and you'll experience horrific spiritual warfare to the degree that you think it's not worth it. But then secondarily, you'll experience a fresh encounter with the beauty and wonder of God. I mean, listen, our prayer rooms, sometimes there's a small attendance, but the, the presence of God is so potent. I'll just sit there weeping. And all it is is what do I sense? I just sense God's love. I just sense God's beauty. I'm in the middle of, I'm on 57th Street, Billionaire Row. And I'm sitting in an old church building and I'm completely overcome with the power of God like I was in the Pentecost revival as a kid. And it's just his mercy. Just turn to him, behold him, love him. And um, when you turn to him, you know, like the, the repentance of Joel too, who knows? He's slow to wangas, you know? So again, enter into all the covenant promises that are yours and the promises of returning to the Lord are extraordinary. And, you know, I, uh, I agree so I, with yeah. I agree with what you said. I think we did miss a moment in COVID. Uh, I think God really wanted to do something significant. I just wonder what is it going to take for us to listen. I, I don't know. What What do you think? Well, uh, um, our prayer leader said this. He's talking about um, David and Goliath. He said this in one of our leadership meetings. Sam Gibson. He said there's that scene uh, when the children of Israel um, are fighting and a Goliath is over there terrorizing the people. They're all demoralized. But it says, when David defeated Goliath, the whole army surged forward as one man. Wow. So well, I, th I think what it takes is one or two people, men or women of any age, to come forward with, with faithfulness to God. And I think people will surge in response when they see it. So, yeah, I want us to be people who just say, you know, here's what I'm hoping to do. I'm hoping to be a grace-filled, challenging, prophetic reminder that more is possible. You know, so I, I want to tell people, come, just come see what we're doing. Come be part of it. You can do this. But I will tell you this, mate, the power that we're seeing. We, we've had a little bit of a healing revival the last couple of weeks. I had a friend come in. We're in a series right now called The Jesus Stuff. I'm like, I don't want to do the church stuff. I don't want to do the Christian stuff. I don't want to do the religious stuff. I want to do the Jesus stuff. And part of the Jesus stuff is healing. So a friend of mine, Darren Rousen, came in and taught on healing. Oh, I love Darren. You yeah. know Darren? So, yeah, yeah. So he just taught for us. And um, we've got other churches calling us now saying, hey, we're healing about here. We're hearing about healing happening in your prayer room. Like, what time is it happening? I need help. And we've seen some really, really beautiful fruit. And uh, so- Again, Paul's strategy seemed to be, for the Jewish community, creating spiritual envy by the beauty of the new covenant compared to the old. And this he talks about this in Romans. And so I, I think I'm just wanting to inspire people that more is better. Like you, I have just some staggering stories of the intervention of God. Staggering stories. Personal, specific, large financial gifts, impossible situations turned around, doors open. So again, I, I just I want people to know they can seek the Lord like this. It's available to them. Turn your heart to him. You will get resistance. He is merciful. 
and answers will come. Jesus' teaching on prayer is this. You should expect a culture of receiving and finding and open doors. Like Jesus' masterclass on prayer is basically asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knock, and the door will be open to you. Be persistent like the friend who comes at midnight. Understand the heart of your father. He's kind and generous, you though you're evil. And then ultimately he goes on after that and says the strong man is bound and now we're free to plunder and a part of that is enforcing the victory of God through prayer. So when you read what Jesus said, you'll be filled with faith to start seeking him and you'll start seeing the promises fulfilled. So let's get into it. John, I can't wait uh, to get to see you in person, uh, November 2 and 3. You'll be speaking at the Global Net Conference uh, to pastors yeah. and and uh, church planters and, and church members and and uh, I'm excited about that. What would you say to pastors right now? Here's the most urgent thing, and maybe it's what we've been talking about, but this mm-hmm. is the most urgent thing that we all need to be about right now. Uh, uh, so I would say you've got to get your eyes off your own project. You've got to lift your eyes to the moment of history we live in. Um, we are accountable. We are accountable for what the Lord's put in front of us. So we've got to be faithful with our church plants, with our teams, with our ministries. But you're also accountable for the moment in history which you live, which is about leveraging yeah. opportunities. And, you know, in our lifetime, by 2033 or so, they're going to have the gospel in the hands of every nation, tribe, and tongue on earth. That is going to happen. It's on track. Uh, so I think we're living at a time. I, the, the phrase I use is the clock determines the play. James K. Smith's got a new book out on time, and he's got an idea called Know When. And it's not nowhere, it's no when. And that's people who are ignorant of time. And most of the of getting discipleship right and following Jesus properly is about understanding the time. And I think in the last, in the final two minutes, the clock determines the play in a sports game, first quarter. It's kind of safe, feel it out. We've got time, final two minutes. It's special plays. It is sneak plays. It is let's we're down by three with two minutes. Let's win. I think we're I think we're at the two minute warning. And I think I think it's time for special teams, intensity, go hard, leverage the moment, travel, technology, opportunity, relationships. You know, what do you think? We're going to get to heaven and Paul's going to be like, hang on a sec. You get <laughs> on a plane and you can go to the other side of the other. Hang on a sec. You've got, you've got satellites that will be in the gospel. To, so I think we've got to leverage those opportunities. So, we, you know, uh, is it global net? I mean, it is you guys who are all about like thinking locally and caring globally. I think that is the need of the hour. John Tyson, I love you to death. I'm I'm uh, I'm grateful for you, and uh, I hope you're raising up a generation of sons and daughters, um, spiritual sons and daughters, that are following in your footsteps. This is my desire. This is what I want. Man, I, I long to hear pastors, church planters, talk about. We started our church and God just showed up. Mm. I'm sorry to say my generation, that's not what we talked about. Mm. We had to be good CEOs and personalities and everything else. And a question God gave me, 1992 is still my prayer that Jesus is enough. He's enough. You know, we he's enough if we can connect with him. So I look forward to seeing you. I love you to death. And uh, may your tribe increase. 
Thank you so much, mate. Always so deeply motivated and inspired by you. And it's been great to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining us for this very informative and intriguing episode of the Bold Love Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and found this podcast helpful or interesting or thought-provoking, we would love for you to give us a review and subscribe to the podcast on the platform you're listening to. So doing this will help others find their way to this podcast. Doing this actually helps listeners around the world connect with the message. So drop us a review. It'd be very helpful if you could share this on social media as well to help spread the message of bridge building and peacemaking. For full show notes, links, and details about this episode, you can find those at bobrobertsjr.com, bobrobertsjr.com, and you can find those there. We appreciate you so much for joining us. And remember, at the Bold Love Podcast, we want to encourage you, the listener, to live out your faith boldly, learn how to better love your neighbor, and learn how to relate to others despite your differences without compromising your faith. We'll see you next time next time.